When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Please be seated. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So if you're asking yourself this morning, well, what was St. Barnabas known for? You're probably not alone. And I'm, I guess you could call me a student of history. Some would say a history nerd. So I was trying to think in history of somebody to compare St. Barnabas to. And the person I kept coming back to was Michael Collins. You probably don't know who Michael Collins was either. And if you don't, then I achieved my purpose. Michael Collins was the third man in the Apollo 11 crew, NASA's first moon landing. He was the one, you might remember now, that had to stay behind in the command module as it orbited the moon while his colleagues Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin landed on and walked on the surface of the moon. Michael Collins didn't get to And in the history of space exploration, Armstrong and Aldrin are pretty much household names. Indeed, in American history, they are household names. Michael Collins, not so much. But if Collins hadn't performed his duty, then none of the rest of it was even possible. And so it is with St. Barnabas. His work, largely overshadowed by the charismatic personality that was the Apostle St. Paul. And for what we know about St. Barnabas, he was pretty much okay with this. Now, Barnabas is mentioned 28 times between the book of Acts and a few of St. Paul's epistles. So you had to know that he's done at least something noteworthy. But you want, you can look around, you won't find him in a stained glass window here. You probably have to search pretty far to find a congregation named after him. He's not even venerated as the patron saint of much of anything except his native land. And our text from Acts 11 this morning gives us kind of a glimpse of Barnabas, but we really have to look before and beyond this to kind of get an account of what happened in this ministry to the Gentiles so that we know who Barnabas was and why his example matters. So that's what we'll do this morning. So what do we know about Barnabas? Well, he was born Joseph on the island of Cyprus, Some believe he was born about the same time as Jesus. He was born into a well-off Levite family, which means, of course, he was a Jew, and that he was destined to grow up and serve some kind of important role in the temple. He was well-educated in the Mosaic Law. At some point, he made his way to Jerusalem, and it's rumored that perhaps he studied under the Pharisee Gamaliel, who also happened to have a student named Saul, And some think the two probably got to know each other there. Now Barnabas was a Hellenized Jew, which meant he spoke Greek and he was probably very familiar with the norms of Greek culture. So perhaps this made him an ideal candidate for apostleship. It's often assumed that he was among the 72 that Jesus sent out ahead of him in his ministry. He was no doubt intelligent, literate, and well-spoken. But none of that matters if the call of the Holy Spirit goes unanswered. And as we shall see, Barnabas more than answered that call. So we first actually hear about Barnabas in the fourth chapter of Acts, 
When Luke is describing the early ministry of the apostles, and Luke especially gives the credit to the attitudes of these early believers who were, as he says, of one heart and soul, and who never hesitated to give what they could to support the preaching of the gospel. And Luke writes that Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, and Barnabas means son of encouragement, well, Barnabas sold a field that belonged to him, and he brought the money and he laid it at the apostles' feet. And Luke right away contrasts this generous sacrifice with the actions of Ananias and Sapphira a few verses later. They too sold a piece of property, but they held a little bit back for themselves and then pretended otherwise. And that didn't turn out so well for them. And undoubtedly, the apostles recognized that the Spirit was working in Barnabas, and so at some point they brought him into the brotherhood of the apostles. Now the next time we hear about Barnabas is after the martyrdom of Stephen and after the, the uh, conversion of Saul on the road to Damascus. And you might remember Saul remained in Damascus. He was full of the Spirit, but then he himself was persecuted and he fled from Damascus back to Jerusalem. And it was there in Jerusalem that he caused quite a stir with the apostles because he decided he wanted to join up with them. Now, of course, they knew Saul. They knew his reputation for ravaging the church. They were very leery of him, and they doubted that his conversion was genuine. And so who was it that spoke up on behalf of Saul? Well, it was Barnabas. And this took quite a bit of courage given Saul's reputation and given Barnabas's relatively short time in the company of the apostles. And so Luke goes on to speak about the Acts of the Apostles, but more importantly, about how the Spirit worked in them. Peter, we know, traveled north to Caesarea, to the Gentile nation, to the Holy Spirit. And, I mean, the Holy Spirit brought many to faith there. And at first, we're told this didn't really sit well with the apostles in Jerusalem because... Peter had gone and eaten with uncircumcised men. But we know the gospel was and is for all nations, and the Holy Spirit would testify this against these indignant apostles. And although some did continue, as our text says, to preach to the Jews scattered throughout the region, others, especially those from Cyrene and Cyprus, well, they began to preach to the Greeks. And this was especially true, as we read, in the city of Antioch in northern Syria, a place that one historian wrote about, the arts of luxury were honored, serious and manly virtues were the subject of ridicule, and the contempt for female modesty and reverend age announced the universal corruption of this capital of the East. Sounds pretty familiar. So the, the apostles decided, well, they'll send Barnabas because after all, he's a Hellenist Jew. Who better to go who might fit in with them, who would certainly understand them? And I'm quite sure that his counterparts there in Jerusalem were glad to send him so they didn't have to go themselves. But we should also know and be sure that the Holy Spirit worked this out in the minds of the apostles to send Barnabas. Because Luke tells us that in Antioch, Barnabas' preaching and exhortation added a great many people to the Lord. Luke describes Barnabas as a good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And in fact, some believe Luke might have been one of those converts there in Antioch. Now in his wisdom, Barnabas discerned how the Spirit was working in Antioch. Indeed, he saw the grace of God 
And he knew that the harvest was ripe. So guided by the Holy Spirit, he traveled to Tarsus. He picks up Paul, brings him back with him for help. And for the next year, as the text says, they taught and they preached to multitudes in the city. And again, in the text, it says that here in Antioch, this is where the apostles first became known as Christians. Now, there's much to be said about how this label wasn't given to them in admiration, but rather as a derogatory term. Well, sometimes we just have to own those labels. We Lutherans know that. Now, the church in Antioch began to flourish, and it was undoubtedly blessed with financial resources that came with being in this prosperous city. Just as today, we here, we are blessed to have, be able to send funds to all sorts of mission efforts. The church there, the text tells us, they gathered money over time. There was a great famine going on in Jerusalem, so they sent the money back in the hands of Barnabas and Saul to the brothers there. And the two would return to Antioch, this time bringing back with them Mark. Now, Mark was reportedly to be of some relation to Barnabas, perhaps a cousin. And then once this church was established in Antioch, the Spirit called the three to leave there and go to Cyprus. Now, at one point, they'd also visited Pamphylia, where Mark, well, he kind of seemed to tire of this evangelist work, this apostle work, and he returns to Jerusalem while Barnabas and Saul, who is now being referred to as Paul, well, they returned back to Antioch. And as often happened with these fledgling Gentile congregations in Gentile cities, the Judaizers had incited people against the apostles, and they drove them out of town. The same thing would happen to them in Iconium, and Paul would famously be stoned in Lystra, but he managed to escape with his life. But these two, they weren't deterred, and they eventually made their way back to Antioch. Now we might notice that at this point, Luke has gone from writing about Barnabas and Saul in that order, and he begins to write about Paul and Barnabas. And that's because their roles had been reversed, and Paul now finds himself in the spotlight. And it was here also that something else changed, because as simple humans are prone to do, this dispute arose between Barnabas and Paul, and it centered on whether or not Mark should accompany the two back to all the cities they had previously visited. Paul was decidedly against this. He was still displeased and angry with Mark's untimely departure from Pamphylia because Paul was questioning Mark's dedication to this mission, and this led to what is called a sharp disagreement that resulted in Barnabas taking Mark back to Cyprus with him, while Paul chose Silas to remain in Syria with him. So then, this partnership between Barnabas and Paul, this partnership in the ministry, came to an end. Now, I don't know if you know this, but Paul might have had a big ego. And this could very well be this thorn in the flesh that he often talks about. And we know about his run-in with Peter. And indeed, he mildly criticizes Barnabas in Galatians 2 when he says, Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. He's referring to the Jews who wanted to make sure that the Gentile converts were circumcised. But perhaps Paul and Barnabas eventually reconciled because Paul does also speak well of Barnabas. Also in Galatians 2, he says, Barnabas and me received the right hand of fellowship to go to the Gentiles. He also tells the church in Colossae 
to welcome Mark, of all people. This despite his prior aggravation and anger with the gospel writer. So Paul certainly recognized the importance of Barnabas in his own ministry and in the larger mission of taking the gospel to the nations. And then after Acts 15, Barnabas all but fades away and disappears from the scriptures. And as we know, it becomes all Paul all the time, both in the last half of Acts and in his epistles. And as for Barnabas, it is believed he was martyred in Cyprus, either by stoning or burning, and his tomb was allegedly discovered around 488. So there's obviously a lot about Barnabas for us to admire and for us to emulate. Once the Holy Spirit had called him into service, he understood what the cost of discipleship would be, but he followed Jesus' words to deny himself, take up his cross, and follow He gave up his status in the temple. He even sold his own property to further the mission of the apostles. He became Paul's sponsor. He became his partner when no one else would, risking not only his reputation but his life, trusting not in his own judgment about the man, but trusting the Holy Spirit to accomplish the work set before them. And in the wisdom given to him by the Spirit, Barnabas recognized his own limitations, but he saw great potential in Paul. And so then Barnabas steps aside. He cheerfully lets his friend Paul fulfill the role of apostle to the Gentiles. And were he with us here today, Barnabas would be more than happy to continue to direct attention away from himself and to Paul. But more than that, Barnabas would give credit to the Holy Spirit for all that he and Paul were allowed to accomplish in the name of Christ. So we see there wasn't always a spirit of harmony and unity among the apostles. And we today will continue to have disagreements and divisions in the church, perhaps even in this own congregation. You ever been to a voter meeting? Now, it's okay for us to disagree about temporal things. We can disagree about what our governance or our policy ought to look like or what color carpet we want to install in the sanctuary. But we must always be dedicated to resolving things between one another because of the example of Christ, the one who reconciled us to God. And we have to share this message of reconciliation because it is, as Paul reminds us, it has been entrusted to us. And that's what we must focus on, the unity of our confession and the message of faith in Christ alone as the way of salvation. Now, in our adult Sunday school class, we've been spending the past several weeks discussing discussing evangelism, and we're using this particular program. And we could and should debate its usefulness in terms of being a good program to study and to use. But it is, after all, just a program. So we shouldn't lose focus on the task that the Spirit has given us, and that is simply to share the gospel at all times and be prepared at all times to give an answer and a reason for the hope that is in us. Let's be honest, we're not all equipped to be evangelists, at least not in the strict sense. We can't, and we don't all want to be in the spotlight. And we can't all be Peter or Paul. More often than not, we'll be like Barnabas, supporting behind the scenes. But as we've talked about, we also should never be 
unsure of when the Holy Spirit will use the words that we've spoken, no matter how faintly or how feebly we think we've said them, we don't know how the Spirit will use those words because we have all inherited the mission of the apostles to carry the gospel to the nations, even if that is in, only in our own neighborhood, our own workplace, or our own little social circle. So brothers and sisters, we honor Barnabas and all the saints who've gone before us, not by simply designating some special day for them and recounting their deeds, but by picking up the tasks they put before us and placing them upon ourselves so that the church may grow and flourish and so that sinners may come to Christ. We must remember all that the apostles like Barnabas sacrificed, fought, and died for because that is what we're called to confess also. Now Satan tried his best to disrupt and defeat the work of the apostles. He tried to divide the early church with false doctrine and heresies, and he continues to do the same to us today. But we have to fight. So let us join together in unity and love of one another. Let's pray for the gospel to be carried to the nations. Let's preach the word purely. Let's rightly administer the gifts that Christ gives us in the sacraments. Let's confess the faith and speak in truth so lost sinners may be redeemed and that we, together with the church throughout all time, proclaim the name of Jesus as Lord and Savior. And let us give our time, our talent, and treasures so they may be used in whatever way the Spirit deems necessary. And this we do not for our own sake or recognition, but for the glory of God alone. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds. In Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.